glad I get to work from home on the final Friday of beautiful weather this month because it sounds like next week's going to be bad. It has been just a spring week to die for. Can't believe how good the weather was. And Layla got to spend a good part of it in a state park. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Courtney Astolfi, Lisa Garvin, and Layla Tassi, fresh back. We'll be talking about some outdoor stuff in a bit. Let's start with the talker of the day. Lisa, it's yours. What is the official word from First Energy and the Cleveland Browns about ending the utilities naming rights for the stadium? And what do Cleveland.com readers think some very good names could be as replacement? Yeah, the Cleveland Browns and First Energy finally agreed to end a 17-year naming agreement for the stadium, so it will revert to its original name, the Cleveland Browns Stadium, for at least this season. Uh, First Energy Interim CEO John Summerhalder says, well, since we signed 10 years ago, our priorities have shifted (laughs) (laughs) as we've evolved to a regulated utility. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, their priorities have evolved. <laughs> They're not in the bribery anymore, you know, let's face it. They're trying to be honest after launching the biggest bribery scandal in history. What do the Browns say? Well, um, the Browns, I, I they haven't really said anything. I know the city has said that, you know, in a statement that, you know, Clevelanders own the stadium and it's only fitting that we have a name that we can be proud of, and that would be the Cleveland Browns name. Um, before, I, before we get to the very good suggestions that readers sent in. I want to speculate a little bit here. Look, we've had no end of people calling for for the Haslam's to yank that name off the stadium. It, they believe right. it's a disgrace. First Energy admitted $60 million in bribes in the biggest statehouse scandal ever, and their name's up on top of the stadium. And it's been nonstop. And they've refused. I wonder mm-hmm. if they realize there's a coming storm when the indictments come down on the, the first energy former execs that orchestrated this whole thing, it's going to have lots more details that will cause shame for them to have it up there. And they made this announcement to get ahead of it. The lawyers for those guys have gone into court and said the indictments are imminent, which they can't lie about that because that mm-hmm. would threaten their legal license. They must know something. I wonder if the Haslam's now know something, too. Yeah. And, you know, they've been dragging their feet. I mean, there were two Ohio lawmakers that proposed a bill to strip the first energy name from the stadium after Larry Householder's arrest in 2020. And then the Cleveland City Council proposed a similar resolution last year. So people have been crying for this for two years. And now all of a sudden it's it's gone. Yeah. Which uh, the timing is very fishy. Look, first energy did as bad a deed as you can do. And everybody can say, oh, they've atoned, they paid their fine. They still did something as bad as possible. It has rocked the state. There's Nobody trusts state government because they're all for sale. I mean, everything that happens in state government now, immediately people are saying, well, who's putting money in their pockets? That was First Energy's legacy, and their name is on the biggest stadium we have on the highway where everybody could see it can see it Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's been it's been kind of a mark of shame for the browns that they kept it so but the fact they're taking it down now they announce it now i i bet those indictments come any day so anyway i put a note out yesterday afternoon saying hey subtext people let's have some fun i send a text every morning saying this is what we're working on you know what would you like to see it named or which companies would you like to see 
put their name on it. And about half of them were serious thoughts about the companies and half mm-hmm. of them were flat out just hilarious. What were some of them? Yeah, there was this one made me laugh because I remember the Art Modell days, the house that Art couldn't build, <laughs> the Ohio State House Corruption Stadium, uh, the HB6 Stadium Householder Field, <laughs> Original Mattress Factory of Sadness, uh, the Chrome Dome, which would be a nod to the hair club for men, and <laughs> oddly enough, um, the Lucas Deprele Stadium. Someone wanted to name it after our reporter, Lucas Deprele, which I thought was really cute. Well, he's been hilarious in our etiquette guide, and I've mentioned that we're thinking about having him start an advice column just because he's so funny. And I I was charmed to see that one. For the serious ones, the overwhelming choice seemed to be Sherwin-Williams. And one even said if they did it, they could create a new paint color called Cleveland Brown, which I thought was a little cute. Um, Lots of lots of humor. But there was also the undercurrent of the Deshaun Watson scandal. There were people suggesting you call it Sexual Abuse Survivors Stadium, which is pretty much a dig. (laughs) And then someone said we can name it Guy Fieri Stadium. I guess he's from Ohio Slimans after our famous corned beef restaurant. And uh, I like this one. This one's cute. UPS, what can Browns do for you? (laughs) I missed that one. That's pretty good. Well, people had a lot of fun. Ultimately, it's going to be somebody with very deep pockets like Sherwin Williams or the Cleveland Clinic that'll put their name up there. Um, We'll see. I guess they're saying it'll take a year to get there. Interesting story coming out of the blue. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County leaders appear to have zeroed in on a site for a new jail. What is it? And what are the upsides and downsides? And Layla, this was the obvious choice from day one. And yet the county council wanted to put it on a site so polluted that they wouldn't put a prison there decades ago. Yeah. According to the insider sources that uh, Caitlin Durbin spoke to, this this site is in Garfield Heights at Granger Road in Transportation Boulevard. Caitlin reports that it's it's unclear how many other sites are on this shortlist for the potentials for the jail, but there is at least one other site and it's somewhere in the city of Cleveland. The Garfield Heights property was was previously identified among the top three picks for a jail site last year. That's when former county executive Armin Budish was overseeing the whole process. But at that time, there were two other sites that that some county officials preferred, but the residents and current executive Chris Renane hated hated him. So one, of course, was that toxic site you're talking about on Transport Road. It was just, you know, full of benzene. So the Garfield Heights site has been unused since 2008. It's owned by Craig Realty Group, a California-based outlet mall developer. They bought it in 2019. The company had taken control of the failed Bridgeview Crossing project, and they planned to put a $90 million office and retail facility there, but financing fell through during the recession of of that time. It's it's a total 72 acres. The county would like to carve out at least 40 of those acres for the jail. The sale price as of last year was about $22 million. And so, you know, as for the pros of this site, it's big enough. It's easy to acquire. It's close to major highways. But there are some drawbacks. It would mean moving the jail 16 minutes outside of downtown Cleveland. That's kind of far from the courthouse. That really annoys judges and lawyers who the lawyers have to drive farther to meet with their clients. It, and it's the most expensive of the options. And it's it's not as easily accessible to public transit. 
It would yeah. also mean a loss in income tax revenue yeah, for the, the city. The of income tax revenue. So, so parochial. on the scale, but, yeah, and they could work out a deal. Know, Look, the, the the two big things here are the the argument that it would require transportation, and that is so parochial. It's almost like we have people making decisions who never leave the city and look at what happens elsewhere. And Prosecutor Michael Malley is one of those saying it needs to be together. He goes to Florida all the time. He had a drop in to Orlando, Florida, where they have been transporting people from an outside the city jail for decades now with no issues. Arizona has it. Philadelphia has it. That's just a bogus argument against it. Those transportation systems work wonderfully. And the reasons those cities did that is so that they could get enough land to build a two-story jail instead of a tower. It makes huge sense. The other thing is, as I understand it, three of the city's police districts are closer to this site than they would be to a downtown jail. So the people taking prisoners there would actually have a shorter mm, trip. The other, look, point. the other thing about this site is it's it's apparently clean. This is not the, the shopping center that was built on the landfill that was scandalous all those years ago. This is, this is from what right, they have to do testing to be highway, sure, right. but this is clean land. It, it, this is, was always the sensible choice, the one to go to. Um, and if you can get away from that ridiculous thinking that, oh, we have to bust people in. You know why the judges don't want to do that? Because they, a lot of them don't keep schedules. And if you're transporting prisoners in, you got to have a timeline. Like the judges say, these are the people I'll be dealing with in the morning session. And then they're brought in. But if the judges are disorganized clowns, they can't do that. And everything the judges seem to do these days is to protect their little fiefdoms and hide what they're doing. So this is a good move. Oof. I'm wondering, though, how will they manage all of the the improvements that have to be made for the sake of safety to the current facility? Because it will take time to acquire, to build this new facility. And so how will you how do you decide what what updates to make to the current, you know, the current jail that to, to get to keep it operating and safely until until that new project comes minutes. online. The um, the one thing that's not discussed is paying for it. Both <laughs> Lee Weingart and Chris Ronane vowed that they would not increase the sales tax permanently without a vote of the people. So one of the things they could do is do all the planning for the next few years to get this this thing ready. And as soon as they finish paying off the convention center, use that money. But we'll have to see. They're, they're really, <laughs> you keep waiting to hear, how are you going to come up with a billion dollars for a courthouse and a, a, a jail? And they haven't said. But this is, this is a good step. Look, Chris Renane came into office, had a big quagmire on his hands. He's done a couple of smart things. Getting to this site, and if the county council, which sounds like it agrees, does this, this is a move into the future, not like the nonsense they were pulling when Armin Budish was around. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb has a completely new approach for development of the Cleveland Lakefront, something radically different from all the failed efforts of the past. Courtney, we talked about the big picture a few days ago, but now we've got some more details on just who would participate in this thing and where the money's going to come from. Yeah, reporter Steve Litt really fleshed out our understanding of what this could look like. This could be transformative for the city of Cleveland. I, I don't think that's in dispute. This 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 proposed North Coast Development Authority. You know, Steve 
described it as the having the potential to be a powerful new tool for the city to develop its lakefront to 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 foster development along Lake Erie downtown and and better connect the core of downtown to North Coast Harbor that 75 acre plot that has the stadium the rock hall the great lake science center so the initial steps for this are going to kick off here in a couple weeks. Bibb is looking to introduce legislation to city council to get it going. And, and we already heard from council president Blaine Griffin. He said council is definitely on board here. The county council is going to have to sign off too. But we also heard from county executive Chris Ronane and he's on board. So Steve kind of frames this as the stars aligning. We've got leaders in place who want to prioritize the lakefront and see this authority through. And, and what this authority would represent would be, you know, essentially a permanent body that lives outside of City Hall, lives outside of the county headquarters building, so that when administrations change, politicians change, priorities change, there's still someone tasked with really seeing through the lakefront projects. You always worry about another level of bureaucracy, but the like we said the other day, the lakefront is almost a forgotten stepchild. Nobody advocates for it in an official capacity. This would give it true representation and thought. It's an interesting idea. I can't imagine the county council would oppose it because they would have a voice on this, which technically they have not now because it's, it's pretty much city property. This would bring the county into the planning in a more thoughtful way. So... Absolutely. It would be a joint venture. And this is a little different for, for Cleveland to conceptualize and think what it would look like. Something similar, you know, for local reference kind of happened in Cincinnati along the along the riverfront there. They turned swaths of riverfront property and from parking lots and rail lines into two billion worth of development over a few decades. So this model in Cleveland would actually, like you said, it would include three representatives from county. It would include seven representatives from the city and a few others from lakefront stakeholders, such as the Rock Hall or potentially the state of Ohio. And and the really interesting, the key to the magic here, it, it this authority would have the power to levy and collect taxes within a defined area. That gives it potentially multiple millions of dollars to, to unlock. That could be through bonding, uh, tax-exempt bonds. That could also be through government grants. We've got all that money coming in from the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and this authority could tap some of those those flowing dollars. They'd have to get a vote if they were going to do a property tax, though, right? I mean, they just can't arbitrarily create a tax. When the Port Authority needs money, it asks the voters to approve it. I would hope the voters would have a say before they're having more money stripped out of their pockets. Well, I'm not I'm not sure Steve reported the, the, talking about the tax exempt bonds and those would be based on tax increment financing deals. So the value of property that increases oh, okay. on a specific plot of land. Okay, yeah, they wouldn't need to vote for that. That's that's a very common way. Interesting story. Check out it Steve's writing on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. One of the big wishes, oh, I should say, Courtney, since Justin Bibb has now created an authority for the Westside Market and an authority for the lakefront, shouldn't we be talking about an authority to run the airport? 
<laughs> we'll be talking about the airport in a minute. Lisa, one of the big wishes people have for the West Side Market is for a place to sit down to eat or drink. Is that dream looking likely to be realized? I know you've talked about this in the past. Oh, yeah. That's what I hate about the West Side Market is that the only places to sit is where the garbage is. So this is a really good news. So phase two of the West Side Marketing Plan was presented to the vendors on Wednesday night. And one of the biggest pieces was moving the produce vendors to 24 stalls in the East Arcade at the back of the market. That would free up the mostly empty now anyway, North Arcade. That would become a prepared food hall with 10 vendors, two bars, and public seating areas both inside and out. Other improvements were air conditioning throughout the facility, a commercial kitchen for vendors and event planning, market-operated parking instead of city parking so they could get increased revenue from parking, basement upgrades, completely redoing the basement area where there's like food prep and other and storage. Um, They also want to make disability compatible restrooms and elevators and put meeting and event space on the mezzanine. So yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff in the plans. If they created that place to sit down, I think they could kind of replicate what's gone on over at that Van Aken Center where people just throng over in that Mm -hmm. region of town to sit, Mm -hmm. to have meetings, to have a cup of coffee, and the West Side Market seems like it would be perfect for that, except you can't do it. This seems like something they should have done years ago, uh, and it finally is looking like a reality. People are kind of desperate to have this. Yeah. And, you know, they say that this, uh, although they are going to hire an executive director, so there's some cost here. Um, the CPMC board is now interviewing and hope to fill this executive director uh, position by this summer. And they will introduce all their applicants to vendors. So vendors will have a say in this. But they think it's going to be about an annual operating cost of about $3 million. About $1.2 million of that would be in salaries, which sounds a little high to me, but I guess we can look into that later. The one thing I keep hearing people say about the market is they need to have vendor-grown produce. Right now, Mm -hmm. produce there is the same stuff you get at the grocery store. They Mm -hmm. all go out to the big terminal and they get it, which has never made sense to me. I mean, it seems like this really ought to have organic, as much as possible, locally grown. And I haven't heard much talk about that yet. I I think people are going to kind of demand that in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, but there's a little bit of conflict in City Hall because Justin Bibb wants to spend $15 million in ARPA money for Westside Market upgrades. But president of the council, Blaine Griffin, says he's a little skeptical about spending that money on the market. So they need to get their ducks in a row. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. In addition to the site choice of the jail, we have some other jail news to talk about. As we mentioned, County Executive Chris Ronane laid out part of his vision for the future, and one big idea is a new position to work on reducing the jail population, which could help, Layla, with what you were talking about. What do we do in the intervening time between we, when, before we have a new jail? Yeah, I love the job title they invented here. It's this person would be called <laughs> Sounds the like a Justice Marvel superhero. Expediter. Or a villain. Sounds like I mean that's like tough 
Yeah, exactly. We need a cape. and (laughs) They would be expected to more quickly identify and release people who are eligible for low bonds or relocate those with serious medical and mental health issues to the best location for treatment, wherever that might be. And the jail has apparently used various versions of an expediter in the past. In 2021, the county had a job posting for a jail population manager who would do similar things. But that position was never filled. I'm I'm really curious to know more about how this position would function within the system. You know, at what point along that continuum would this expediter lay hands on a case? Would it be upon booking or first appearance or arraignment? You know, because part of the reason why you want someone in that role is A, to relieve the unnecessary crowding at the jail, but B, to make sure that people who are not violent and don't need to be detained aren't losing their jobs while they languish in jail. So what is the optimal time for a justice expediter to make that determination about a case? I I would say as early as possible. So I'm, yeah, I'm curious to know more how this, hard to this person use fits as into a gauge the system. For what the population should be. Remember, the, the pandemic hit and everybody got together. They cleared that jail out. We get down under a thousand inmates. And then Bill Mason was, as chief of staff to Armand Budish, one of his key roles was kind of this role. But as the pandemic continued, we had fewer and fewer trials. So the people that were in the jail were largely pretty dangerous felons. And you couldn't clear them out because if you put them back on the street, they might kill somebody. You had an overly high concentration of dangerous people in there. As that backlog has been cleared out, are we back to a period where the jail has way too many people who are misdemeanor, non-dangerous suspects awaiting trial? Yes. I mean, it's an excellent question. But and, and this person, this expediter is key to figuring out. I mean, they need to bring this person online immediately because this is how we know how big of a jail we're going to have to budget for uh, on, on whatever site they choose. So uh, this has been one of the most vexing questions, I think, of this entire Tim Durbin also reported in the story that mentions this position that Ronane is laying out a program to spend money on the existing jail to get us through that period that there are upgrades they need to do Mm -hmm, to make it mm -hmm. safe and all that kind of thing. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how much total that costs. I think I saw a figure of 19 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. 19 million or so. Yeah. Which is like, wow, that's a lot to invest in a facility but that how much, is, is uh, quickly oh. going to become defunct. Or maybe well, not if they that wait quickly. Until Who they knows? The, We've the, already been doing this for a year. So. <laughs> it's three years. But look, how much has the county paid out for jail deaths and suffering? Uh, the 19 million could be a very small investment in keeping yeah, people right. alive and saving the taxpayers money. Good stuff by Caitlin Durbin. Two big jail stories. Check them out on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. The parking problems at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport are well known, but traffic at the airport is also an issue. Cars are backing up at the terminal gates. What are the folks who run the place doing to contend with it, Courtney? Yeah, we're the the airport's adding more parking in in various ways here. Susan Glazer explained to us how the airport's looking, or they have created a second cell phone lot, and usually that's used by folks who are going to pick someone up, come and going, and they just need to pull over somewhere and wait for five minutes. And a lot of the ideas, so they're not stacking up in front of the terminal. You know how that traffic can get. So the the current cell phone lot, which has long existed, it'll continue to be there. 
but they're adding a second one behind the now closed Sheraton Hotel. It's kind of adjacent to the Orange parking lot, and you can get to it from that inner drive inside the airport. So that'll help relieve that extra traffic by the terminal. But in the meantime, they're also looking to add a gray lot and that's a temporary new lot and that's for longer term parking that'll provide an additional 1000 parking spots to help offset you know there's ongoing construction at the big smart parking garage right there in the heart of where you drive up that that construction has removed 2000 spaces from use so this gray lot temporarily will offset those losses, but it still doesn't get us to all the spaces where we're waiting to be done in the smart garage. A couple of things. One, the, the, one of the reasons traffic backs up is because the police out there aren't doing what they're supposed to do, which is ushering people along. If you, if you have the cell phone lots and people use them, they know when they come in, they're there for a couple of minutes, they get their folks, they drop whatever, and they go. But what I keep hearing from people out there is there's nobody out there moving traffic along. So people are just parking out front for long periods of time. That That's something you could fix pretty quickly. As for the parking, I got to say, Lisa has been very vocal in our discussions about parking, saying that my complaints about the city parking are all wet because there's such an availability of private lots. And Lisa, I have heard from no end of people (laughs) who completely agree with you, think that I'm wrong. They just say, hey, Chris, I usually agree with you, but you're way off on this one. So I think the general consensus for the flying public is those private lots easily fill the, the need mm-hmm. and I should stop complaining about it. <laughs> and and the airport is it's in the process of doing this big master plan. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sure seems to me that some of these woes are temporary until they can execute pieces of their plan and, and bring more permanent parking and permanent facilities in. Yeah, I just get back to this. I don't think the city has what it takes to run the airport. I wish we had a regional airport authority. I wish there was some sort of regional finance plan that could lower the landing fees, make us more attractive to the airlines. It just doesn't seem right that the city of Cleveland has unilateral control over a facility that is used by the whole upper half of the state because it's not a great airport and we deserve one. You know, I'm I'm not sure the particulars. I've been told, and I'd have to run this down, but that there there is some sense of regional financing, not through that authority mechanism you're talking about, but a way to bring in more regional revenues to support the airport. But I'd have to educate myself on this well, particulars. I, there. I don't think anybody outside of Cleveland is going to be willing to do that unless they get a voice in how the place is run. If if you want regional money, you've got to give some regional control. And that's what the city's always refused to do. And it's an enterprise fund. They don't make money on it. So it, it, it's not like it's a profit thing. And there aren't that many city jobs at the airport. Anyway, it's a, uh, we complain about it all the time, but it stays the way it is. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, we still don't have the full story, but we do have confirmation of our suspicions that something was awry with the abrupt retirement of Ohio's lottery director. What's new? Yeah, Jeremy Pelzer did some digging and he talked to Governor Mike DeWine's uh, spokesman, Dan Tierney, who says they are hiring an outside independent firm to investigate, quote, potential HR irregularities at the Lottery Commission. Uh, Tierney didn't have any details or whether it is connected to the abrupt retirement of Lottery Director Pat McDonald for medical reasons. Uh, So, uh, yeah, it looks like they're looking into something there and Jeremy's going to keep digging. So McDonald was appointed in 2019 by Governor DeWine. He was a former Lottery Board 
commission member, and he was also the director of the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections. A lot of people know him. Right now, the interim director is Michelle Gilchrist. Um, she will be there until they find a permanent replacement. But the lottery committee, this all happens as the lottery commission is trying to go through a lot of changes. They're trying to poison on the poised to launch an online lottery game called iLottery. And they're also rebidding their $45 million annual central gaming system contract. So yeah, kind of a sensitive time for the lottery. What annoys me about this is that the initial word from the governor's office was nothing to see here. We called and said, hey, you know, we heard this, we heard this. Oh yeah, we're hearing that, nothing to see here. But with the continue, and yesterday we said, was it because of his support of a Democratic candidate or did he do something bad? Well, now it's becoming a little more clear. There's definitely something here. The governor's office should not mislead the public. If they want to say we're not ready to talk about it yet, fine. But you should not mislead the public by making them think there's nothing to see here. Clearly something is up here. So shame on the governor's office for its handling of this. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Like we said, Layla has spent the week getting back to nature in a distant part of the state. But maybe next time she can immerse herself closer to home. What's the new newest nature preserve in Northeast Ohio, Layla? Yeah. First, I just want to say I took my family down to Hocking Hills State Park this week to stay a few nights at that brand new lodge that opened there in October <laughs> based solely on Susan Glazer's wonderful review of the place that ran on Cleveland.com. And I have to say she didn't lie. This place did not disappoint. So check it out if you're looking for a local uh, you know, place within driving distance. But I digress. Pete Kraus tells us that ODNR has designated a 127 parcel acre parcel of old growth woods near a residential area in Solon as the Solon Woods State Nature Preserve. This is an undisturbed tract of land with very old trees. There are red oaks that are three to four feet in diameter and probably more than 200 years old. And there are wetlands there that support a great deal of biodiversity. It was once home to a great blue heron rookery. I'd never heard that word before. Very cool. Though the herons, it seems, have moved on. And there are vernal pools that pop up in the spring and provide breeding habitats for amphibians like frogs and salamanders. Surprisingly, though, this is this will be the this is the first state nature preserve in Cuyahoga County. There are 143 across the state, but this is our first. And the land is is located in an area on the east side of Som Center Road and south of Pettibone Road. It'll be owned by the city of Cle- Solon, as it has been, but it'll be managed by the state. And ODNR will be responsible for keeping the property as natural as possible, and that will include keeping non-native plant species like garlic, mustard, and bush honeysuckle from invading the forest floor. By by definition, a preserve is off limits because they don't want you to disturb it. It sounds like from from Pete's reporting that this will be accessible to the public. There are some paths that are already there from, I guess, the the locals who like to walk through that area. But they're going to, I guess, make those path improve those paths so that the public can can come visit. And, and I think they even want to put in a parking area or improve whatever parking they have there well, so people, people can might go out there today go while the weather is beautiful and, and because it's supposed to start raining tomorrow. That's it for the Friday yeah. episode of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. Have a great weekend. Come back Monday. We'll be talking some more about the news. News.